You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what is going on? Eric Bach, your host of the Look Right Naked podcast. And today we're going to do something brand new, our first open Q&A episode. Now, on Mondays and Wednesdays over on Instagram at Bach Performance, I do a Q&A. You can ask questions about fitness, nutrition, life, whatever. I like to cover those directly at Instagram. But now I'm going to take the best questions and also hook you up with those responses directly here on the podcast. So keep your eyes open directly on Instagram for those open Q&As and we can feature your question on the show. Now, before we get going, something that I noticed right? So we just trimmed up our palm tree, got a nice palm tree sitting outside my office. And at first, man, that thing looked ugly. It wasn't pretty. But once we trimmed it up, new sprouts started coming everywhere. And now we get out with the old and with the new, that palm tree is blooming. It looks exponentially better than it did before. And it's kind of funny when I look at this thing, right? Because we had these dead branches that were kind of choking out some future growth. And this is very similar to what happens directly in the gym right? People continue on with the same old patterns, same old actions, hoping for something brand new. Because changing what has worked in the past is always something that's terrifying, right? You've tried different diets, nutrition protocols, um, workout plans, all these things that had worked for you at some point in your life. And completely changing them, trimming the branches of the things that worked before to open up space for something brand new is a scary proposition. Because after all, nothing's promised. It might not work. But ultimately, someone to trim in this palm tree, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make in the gym is trying to do the same things weekend after week, month after month, year after year, especially in the gym, especially when their training has or when their lifestyle has changed, when they get less sleep, when they have more stress, when their nutrition, the way that their body responds to different nutrients adjusts as well. So similarly to how we trim that palm tree, make sure that it can sprout new branches and bloom. That's sometimes what we need to do with our general approach to training because what served you in the past is not always going to be what serves you in the future. So just one little note as I'm trying to overcome my allergies from all the debris and pollen coming from that palm tree. All right. So the first question comes from Tony Spinello asking, I'm doing a push, pull, lower, and gap workout. I'll explain that in a second. Or a push, pull, lower, vanity split. Can I do deadlifts or another variation on pull day to increase my lower body leg development? All right. So let's break down this training split for a second. A push, pull, lower, gap workout. Essentially what you're doing here, training four days a week, a push day, think all your pushing muscles in your upper body. So chest, shoulders, triceps. A pull day, typically posterior chain, right? So think, rows, pull-ups, pull-downs, anything that's really going to hit the backside of your body. Lower body, well, just about everything. We've got a hip hinge pattern. We've got a lunge pattern. We've got a squat pattern. And then a gap workout or a, in this case, a vanity split. So essentially a classic training split would be the push, pull, lower. But if you want to add the additional day, that's where we call the gap workout. And so on this fourth day, what you can do is just about any exercise to bring up a weak point. Let's say, for example, you want to be able to improve your mobility. Awesome. You could be having a workout where you're focused more on adding some additional mobility work or you want to bring out a weak body part. Could be your abs, could be your arms. That additional day could be focused directly on whatever that weak point is. And so in this case, looking to add deadlift or a hip hinge exercise on that pull day to increase lower body volume, that's a great idea. So what a pull day would look like with a push, pull, lower, vanity type training split would be as follows. You could start with a Romanian deadlift, right? So this would be your big compound exercise. You want to get progressive overload. Create enough tension directly in those muscles so they are forced to grow and adapt. Then we would move over to something like a single arm dumbbell row, a chin up. I would move over to a chest supported row. And then you could hit an isolation exercise that hits your pull muscles. So it could be something for your rear delts, such as a reverse fly or 
even something as simple as a biceps curl. But I really like this idea if you're doing a push-pull lower basic training split of adding a hip hinge or a deadlift type exercise directly on that pull day. Reason being, when we can train muscles and movement patterns more often, like any other skill, you're going to develop the skill of training more effectively. And this is going to allow you to improve your technique. And when you can improve your technique on any exercise, it's going to allow you the ability to add more weight to the bar, create more tension directly within that muscle, and overall, just improve the overall muscle and strength building stimulus that you're getting directly from your training. So I would say go for it. Uh, the biggest thing I would look at here if you're doing a push, pull, lower gap type training split is making sure if you add a deadlift in there, I would actually start the workout with the pull workout. We'll say on Monday, the push workout would be on Wednesday. The lower body workout would be on Friday. Reason being that we have an additional training or additional recovery day between the pull workout where you're hitting a deadlift or a hip hinge type movement pattern before your lower body pattern. The sequencing and getting different exercise variations and proper rest period between them is absolutely crucial. Because if you go through and you hit a hard deadlift, Romanian deadlift type movement pattern on a Wednesday, and then you try to jump right back into a hard workout for your lower body on Friday, there's a decent chance you're going to have some cumulative fatigue left over directly, not only in your hamstrings, glutes, but lower back and overall axial loading and central nervous system fatigue might prevent you from actually maximizing the overall training effect from that lower body day. So you can set it up with a push-pull lower training split and have that deadlift or hip hinge pattern on the pull day, but you have to be really careful with how you organize that exact workout. Next question, Tom Robertson asks, what does your diet look like during the work week? All right, so a couple of basic things here. I try to reduce the number of decisions around food. The reason this is important, when you have fewer decisions to make around food, it opens up more bandwidth for all the other decisions that you need to make directly in your day. So personally, here's how this plays out. I tend to eat most of the same foods most of the time. And this is a very important concept for most people to understand. You see, a lot of people will start eating consistent foods, start to lose weight, notice how their body's feeling, but then they say, hey, I'm getting bored. I need some different variations. You have to get over the need to be entertained by your food at every single meal, right? A lot of people run into issues because they treat more of the days where they're at home like vacation than the other way around. And what happens is we constantly overeat, right? So when you can eat the same foods consistently, you start to become really in tune with how your body reacts to different foods, different macronutrient profiles. And this builds a ton of awareness on how to build the best long-term sustainable diet plan for yourself. In addition, when you eat the same things consistently, you reduce decisions. When you reduce decisions, you reduce the chance of error. You have more bandwidth, as I mentioned, for everything else. So what does my week typically look like? For breakfast, this is if I'm not using intermittent fasting, right? And for breakfast, what will I eat? It'll be two to three eggs, a cup of egg whites, scrambled with some vegetables, and just a very simple, basically, egg scramble, right? That'll be one option. It might have a piece of fruit or some berries along the side with my coffee. Um, beyond that, I'll make overnight oats. So a cup of oatmeal, one, one and a half scoops of, of whey protein. Um, sometimes I'll also use a plant protein. I like a cinnamon cereal protein from Legion. Tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. Absolutely bomb. That's another great option. And then again, I'll throw some fruit directly in there. So breakfast is really one of two options if I'm eating breakfast. It's going to be overnight oats or it's going to be an egg scramble. By eliminating all the other decisions out there, it keeps things very simple. Lunchtime. I use a local meal prep service, Project Lean Nation, based down here in Charleston. Um, it's actually expanding all over the US, so check them out, see if they have them by you. But they make incredible meals, and you can get them in two different sizes. One is the athlete size, one is the lifestyle. Given my calorie needs, I like the lifestyle. And so most of these happen to have 50 plus grams of protein, and somewhere between 50 to 80 grams of carbs, and 20 to 25 grams of fat. And the reason I like to use a meal prep service, is there a cost? Of course there is. But when you find something that works, 
and you can eliminate decisions, that's incredibly important. And so for me as a business owner, here's how my mindset works. If I have to think about what to have for lunch, if I have to go in and prep that lunch, if to clean the dishes and do all these things to eat the way that I know I need to, to support my body, support my goals and support my health, that might take me 45 minutes, right? Well, if I do a meal prep and I've got something I can pop in my air fryer for 15 minutes, go back to doing some work and then come out, eat and be done. Well, I'm effectively saving myself 30 minutes every time I have lunch. 30 minutes over the course of a five-day work week. Well, hey, that's two and a half hours. And so for me, if I look at the cost of a meal prep, say it's 100 bucks a week, but I've earned an extra $500 worth of time based on how I value my time, it's a no-brainer to invest in something like a meal prep service. So if you are confused on what to be able to eat with something like lunch, a great option would be invest in a meal prep service and consider how much time it is actually opening up in your day by reducing decisions and helping you eat a little bit healthier. So that's typically what I do. Now, in the past, when I was doing more meal prep, essentially what I would do is I would cook you know, three to five pounds of meat on a Sunday, and I would have just some variation of about eight ounces of chicken, steak, or pork, and one to two cups of vegetables, and then a starchy carb like rice or sweet potato. Now, by simplifying the decisions I'm making around breakfast and lunch and really eliminating that decision of what I need to eat, it allows me to have more flexibility, allows me to have more creativity directly at dinner. Personally, I enjoy cooking. It's a way for me to disconnect and be fully present in the moment and doing something else. So for dinner at home, my wife and I, I mean, hey, we're cooking up, have some type of tacos on Tuesday, um, steak, chicken. But basically, the, the basic origin for everything across the board is going to be it's going to be really high quality protein, give or take eight to 12 ounces per meal. It's going to be a ton of vegetables. It's going to be starchy carbohydrates to support activity. So think some basic pairings like a stir fry type dish would be, you know, sauteed chicken, bell peppers, eggplant, and a couple cups of white rice. If we're doing something that could be like a taco, cool. Well, we're going to do steak fajitas, chicken fajitas, again, some bell peppers, onions. Um, we'll use a high quality tortilla rice, beans, all of these things fitting directly in. Biggest concept I want you to understand here, simplify the decisions that you're making around food. If you want to be able to have a meal where you're going to be able to entertain, where you're going to be able to connect with your family, if you can automate breakfast and lunch, it opens up that door for more flexibility to know exactly what you should be eating. Beyond that, I'm not a big snacker. I like to focus on three to four meals. My favorite way is actually our 4-4-40 muscle meal method. And essentially what that is, it's four meals, four hours apart with about 40 grams of protein per meal. And so if we talk about those three square meals that I just described, that fourth meal would be something as simple as a protein shake and highly branched cyclic dextrin with some fruit. That would be around a workout. On other days, it could be Greek yogurt. I love Oikos or Triple Zero. Those are both incredibly high quality Greek yogurts. And then I will mix potentially even a little bit of dark chocolate and some fruit directly in there to get my protein intake up. But eliminate decisions, simplify what you're eating. That'll help streamline the process so you can lose fat and understand how your body reacts to different nutrients. All right, Daniel Norman asks, how can I wake up earlier and be more productive? All right, I'm gonna take a sip of coffee for this one. Which, by the way, I've been hitting the French press lately. Absolutely phenomenal. Okay, so how to wake up early and be more productive. The biggest thing to understand with waking up early and being more productive, it starts the night before. A lot of people think, how can I can't, can't just get up and be more productive? Well, one of the biggest aspects that people struggle with is they let the stress and all the things going from the day ruminate all evening long and then they cannot get to sleep. And so I learned from my good friend and mentor, Craig Ballantyne, the idea of the reverse alarm. So let's say 15 minutes before your workday is set to end. And please have a set end to your workday. It's going to save you so much sanity. 15 minutes before, what you're going to do is you're going to brain dump everything that you need to do tomorrow. And then what you're going to do is you're going to order them in terms of importance. 
this does a couple of things. One, at the end of the day, when your brain is already fried and you're probably stressing about what needs to happen tomorrow, you're getting everything down on paper. When you do this, it lets you know that everything is written down, everything is accounted for. You don't need to think about it all night. And then when you start putting the order of importance on what needs to get done tomorrow, you're going to notice that you're going to be more productive when you're starting jumping into that task right away, right? How many times have you started a work day and all of a sudden you get towards the end and you're like, oh shit, I didn't do this big thing that I was supposed to. That's a terrible spot to be. So 15 minutes before the end of the day, set that reverse alarm, write down everything you need to do and then order them in terms of importance so you can knock them out on time the very next day. Next, we need to set deadlines, meaning we need to set deadlines when we are working, right? And so when we set deadlines when we are working, we have to understand the idea of Parkinson's law. That means a task expands to fit the allotted time. Think of it this way. Did you ever in school have a project that was due at the end of the semester? Chances are you waited until the very end of the semester to knock that thing out and get it done, right? Now, some people will work ahead, do it incrementally, but the vast majority of people will take that entire long semester before they actually get it done and submit it, right? This is just an example. And so if you look at your workday and think, do I have things planned out? Do I know how long this is roughly going to take? Or am I setting a deadline? For example, if you keep your email inbox open all day, well, guess what? It's going to take you all day to get through your emails because they're going to keep going. However, if you block off certain timeframes, say you check emails twice per day and you have a 30-minute time block to do it, you're going to get all your emails done within that time frame. So by setting deadlines, you're going to be able to improve your productivity, which is going to allow you to de-stress a little bit easier later in the evening and be able to wake up early the next day. Now, when it comes to waking up early, we have to understand that this happens the night before. So this is exactly what we're talking about with starting to set some deadlines and an end of the day routine. Now, what we need to think about would be what happens at night before bed. One of my favorite things to look at is what we call a 10, 3, 2, 1, 0 method. So what does this stand for? 10 hours before bed, stop consuming caffeine. That's because the half-life of caffeine could be 10 to 12 hours, meaning half of the caffeine in that double mocha, espresso, whatever you're drinking in the afternoon is still going to be inside of your body that much later. And that can reduce your ability to fall asleep and of course, get deep sleep. Three, three hours before bed, stay away from work. Give yourself some time to relax. Give yourself a buffer to be present with your friends and family and decompress. Two hours before bed, stay away from food and or alcohol, right? Reason here, not that eating after eight makes you magically gain weight, but what actually happens is because your body is focused on digesting that food for longer and longer while you're asleep, it actually takes away from your body's ability to more or less kind of defragment your mind, consolidate memories, and really clear out the clutter and the debris that happens as a result of your workday. And more or less, because your body is focused on trying to digest when you're asleep and not optimally going to digest, it takes away from the overall refreshed feeling that you would have in the morning if you had your meals further away from bedtime, right? So do not eat late at night, not because it's going to magically have you gaining weight, but because it's going to negatively impact your sleep quality and have you feeling groggy the next day. Then one hour before bed, do the best that you can to reduce or eliminate screen time. I know this is tough because everything is on, on a screen, but the blue light being emitted from your computer, from your phone, from your tablet, all of these things suppresses the release of melatonin, which is going to make it difficult for you to fall asleep. And again, to stay asleep. In addition, considering what you're consuming at that type of day, is it getting you ramped up? Is it anger porn and all that shit that's all over the web today? If so, you're going to be better off not having that present 
at all. So as best you can, eliminate that screen time one hour before bed. I use things like Flux. Flux is on my laptop. So if I do have to work a little bit later on, that actually reduces the blue light that comes through. Or even wear some blue blocking glasses. I love, have a pair of Felix Grays. Those can be absolutely perfect for reducing some of the eye strain and the blue light secretion that comes directly through. Now, 10, 3, 2, 1. So what is the zero? The zero means you will hit snooze zero times in the morning. So 10, 3, 2, 1, 0. Implement that directly into your team. Finally, when it comes to the morning, here's what we need to do. Again, as part of that nighttime routine, one thing I like to focus on is setting up my clothes for the next day. I set up my coffee for the next day. I set up 20 ounces of water for the next day. All of these things are done before I go to bed. So when I wake up, I can hit the ground running and all of these basic things that are decisions that other people need to make are automated, right? I don't have to think about drinking water. The water's already there. I don't have to think about what to wear. The clothes are already out. I don't have to think about starting my coffee. The coffee's ready to roll, right? We can eliminate decisions. It simplifies the process across the board. By eliminating decisions, you can be more productive and start stacking wins early in your day. And when you stack wins to kick off your day, you're going to have a pretty damn good day, right? Finally, one other thing Get your alarm clock across the room. It should be outside of arm's length, especially if you're sleeping next to somebody else. Reason being, if you hit snooze on that alarm, you are delaying your dreams. That is not something we want to do, right? So when you put that outside of arm's reach, you have to get up, get moving to actually turn that thing off. If you're sleeping next to somebody, you're really going to make sure that you do because you do not want to piss off your spouse or significant other based on your laziness for not getting out of bed. All right, so run with those. Those will help you wake up earlier and be more productive across the board. Josh Tovar asks, cardio, should I do it before or after weights? You want to do your cardiovascular exercise after weight training or as far away from that weight training workout as you can. Couple of reasons. First, there is an interference effect with cardiovascular training after a muscle building workout. Now, it's not gonna absolutely decimate all of your gains, but if your primary goal is to build as much strength and muscle as you can, your best bet is going to be able to do cardiovascular exercise on a separate day from weight training or as far away from that workout as you can, right? It changes the signaling that happens directly through that workout. And if we interrupt the signal that happens from building muscle and then we have it go over right towards mitochondrial efficiency from a cardiovascular workout, then that can compromise the overall integrity of the workout and how well it goes. Again, this is a little bit ticky tacky in that regard. But one thing we want to consider even more is if we do cardio, like a hard charging cardio workout before you hit the weights, is the aspect of neural fatigue. So what does that mean? Well, when you're working out, it's not just your muscles that get pumped and get sore and get tired. It's your central nervous system, right? And so let's say you do some high intensity interval training. You've gone all out right here. If you try to go heavy and do explosive work directly afterward, your ability to do that to the best of your ability is going to be compromised. Your brain's not going to be able to send signals quick enough back and forth to your muscles. Your muscle fiber recruitment might be down because elements of fatigue are there. And your chance of injury actually goes up. So when you're ordering exercise, here's what you want to do. First, start with a warm-up. That's great. And that can be, you can have five to 10 minutes of light cardio in there. That's different than a wholly structured cardiovascular exercise a training plan. But what do we look like? Dynamic warm-up. Cool. Explosive exercise. So let's say jumping, sprinting, power cleans. Stuff like that. Number three, your heavy strength work. You don't want to be completely gassed and then do a deadlift and trash your back, right? So we want to be able to do that in a fresh state. So heavy strength work. Fourth, 
would be your classic muscle building work. Think six to 12 rep range, multiple sets, trying to accumulate fatigue. Finally, we get to local muscular endurance. Think that would be 10 to 15 plus reps in sets. And then finally, would be your finishers and your cardio. So your best bet is going to be to do your cardiovascular exercise after your weight training or as a completely separate workout to avoid interference and to avoid creating excess fatigue where you can't train as effectively and you open up the door for injury. Tim Peters asks one of my favorite questions of all time. How should I change my workout routines for fat loss? You should not, at least not in a meaningful way. Here's what happens most of the time when somebody says, I want to lose fat. They change their routine from maybe a classic strength training exercise to adding a ton of intervals. They cut down their rest periods. They are breathing, heaving and hawing like Seabiscuit running around the racetrack and wondering why they feel like crap, right? So here's what we need to consider when it comes to fat loss. Fat loss isn't so much about changing your workouts as it is about adjusting your nutrition as the primary driver for fat loss, right? What we need to think about is actually decoupling calories burned from exercise and how that relates to fat loss because it plays such a minor role in how much fat you're going to lose. So what do you do with your workouts when it comes to fat loss? Well, to be honest, think about this. When you're trying to lose body fat, you're consuming fewer calories. And your workouts, if you have fewer calories to actually recover from the workout that you're doing, are you going to actually be able to recover or are you going to kind of dig a hole and dig a hole and dig a hole? So what we need to think about here is you should continue resistance training much in the same way that you would for building strength and muscle. But the reality is you should probably actually bring your volume down because your body doesn't have the fuel to actually recover from the work that you're doing. And if you train way hard while cutting calories a lot lower, you know what happens? Your body gets more stressed out. You get tired, you get fatigued, your cravings go up, your willpower goes down. And so when you're in a state where you're starving, your willpower goes down, you got a case of the fuckets, what kind of food are you going to grab? Probably not the best. And so what I see with most people when it comes to trying these fat loss workout routines with a shitload of intervals and all this stuff and high reps and no rest, it works really well for like four to six weeks. And then they feel completely run down. They get sick. They feel achy. They feel like crap. They have one big binge and bender on food, maybe alcohol, and then they are off the rails completely. So what you should be doing is resistance training four days per week. Take the volume down just a little bit, right? Because your body can't recover from what you're doing. And if you create too much stress, well, then you're going to have to deal with all these other consequences that come down the road. And what we really want to focus on when it comes to our training for fat loss in the gym, it needs to be focused on building and maintaining as much strength and muscle as possible. Because if we are not sending our body the signal that it needs to hold on to the lean muscle that we do have, when calories are low, we're going to lose muscle. And when we lose muscle, we start to slow down that overall metabolic function. This is how plateaus happen. So keep it simple. Train much in the same way that you would for building lean muscle. Bring the volume down. If you want to lose a little bit more body fat, first work on increasing your step count. Get to eight to 10,000 steps per day. You can even pump that up as high as 15,000 before you really add a ton of structured cardio and make incredible progress. But the idea that you have to completely change your workouts when the idea is fat loss, it is a bullshit myth. And it's one reason that so many people get completely stuck after doing something like Orange Theory or whatever interval class is available at your local gym after four to six weeks. Lift weights to maintain and build strength. If you want to lose fat, go for a few more walks and focus primarily on your diet and reducing stress. Connor Castorino asks, hey, how can I improve chest and pec activation on exercises like a barbell bench press? 
I can never feel my chest working. I just feel my shoulders taking over on all of my pressing movements. This is incredibly common. It's actually one reason I'm not a huge fan of the barbell bench press as a chest building exercise. And so let's talk about optimizing mind-muscle connection and feeling your muscles work. It's important to know that if you cannot feel a muscle contract, you're really going to struggle making it grow. This is a big distinction that many people struggle with, especially if they come from an athletic or sports-based background. When you're training for sports or you're training for performance, the primary goal when you're lifting the weight is to lift the weight, right? When I was training as an athlete, my focus wasn't on firing my glutes, engaging my quads and squeezing you know, every muscle fiber as I could. It was about putting the weight on the bar and being as explosive and aggressive with it with good form as I could. When I'm doing a squat to say build muscle, I'm not focusing on trying to just be strong and explosive. I'm focusing on pushing my knees out. Can I feel my glutes in the bottom? Am I squeezing my quads all the way through that movement? When you're training for physique, it's a distinct difference in what it's like training for performance. And this is very difficult for a lot of people, again, from that sport performance background who just want to lift weights and go through the action. And so when it comes to not feeling a muscle work, what we need to do is first, we need to think about how we're executing the lift itself. So we want to think about, am I going slow and controlling that eccentric? A lot of people just go through and knock out a rep as fast as they can because they're counting reps. The reality is we have to make the reps count. And so if you take, say, a dumbbell bench press, you're lowering under control, you're taking three to four seconds, you're feeling your pecs stretch, and then you come back to the top, and when you press, say you're six to eight inches apart, and you're, imagine, squeezing your nipples together, you're going to fire your pecs a lot harder than just going through and do one, two, three, without any rhyme or reason or paying attention directly to how that exercise is being executed. So mentally, you have to get into the muscle and think about how can I make this thing contract as hard as possible. Mentally thinking about that is going to help. Slowing down the rep speed where you're taking three or four seconds on an eccentric is going to play a big difference. If you're working on a big barbell exercise, try to get rid of bouncing out of the bottom like you would potentially in some performance-based areas. That's just going to beat the crap out of your joints and use the stretch reflex to generate force instead of that muscle contractile ability. Now, if those things aren't working individually on the exercise, what you can look at would be some pre-fatigue or post-fatigue type exercises. And so an example for a chest activation. Let's say you can't feel your chest on a barbell bench press. I have definitely been there. I'm definitely shoulder and tricep dominant. Okay. So what would we do? Well, to kick off a workout, you could do something like a converging ring push-up. So that would be a push-up on rings where you're coming together. So it's almost like a, a press type fly movement. And then at the top, or I guess at the bottom, when you're squeezing, again, it's about those hands converging together, but not touching and squeezing your pecs as hard as you can. Another option would be getting started with a light cable press or a cable fly. And again, the same mental aspect is, is always intuitive. It's connecting your brain directly to that muscle and thinking about how can I make this thing contract as hard as I possibly can. And so when you do this with the idea of just activating that tissue, not creating a crazy pump, not chasing fatigue, what you can do is you can really tap into it and get to the point where you're feeling those muscle fibers contract. Then by the time you go into that main compound exercise, say it's a bench press variation, you should be able to feel that bench press or your chest on that bench press much more effectively. In addition, one thing people can do even in their off season, even like somebody like a, a high level power lifter, they could take time off of just chasing a higher bench press if they know that their chest is a weak point in developing further levels of strength. And so what can happen and take this mentally is you might have to pull back on the weight that you're using and take a few weeks to focus on improving your ability to connect directly with your chest to improve that mind muscle connection. And over time, you're going to come back bigger, you're going to come back stronger, and your training is going to be much more effective. But across the board, if you want to feel any muscle contract, if you want to feel any muscle much more effectively, lower the weight, 
slow down the tempo, eliminate the bounce, and mentally connect to having that muscle contract versus just counting reps when you are training. All right, last question we have here today is from Blake, and he's asking, hey, how can I reduce food cravings, particularly at the end or the middle of the night? All right, so food cravings are normally the result of a few different things, and the biggest culprit is going to be stress. You see, when cortisol arises, stress rises from all areas of our life. Cravings can be something where we're definitely seeking that additional dopamine hit or something that's going to help us relax and release some serotonin, right? So what we need to understand, the underlying aspect with cravings is often a lack of stress management. So the first thing I would recommend would be take a second and step back. What in your life is very stressful right now? Are you taking time to meditate? Are you going for walks? Are you taking time to decompress from electronics and all the stressors of the world? If you're not, that can be a huge reason why cravings come in. In addition, if you're following a diet where your calorie deficit is, say, greater than 25 to 30%, you're going to have a crazy amount of cravings, especially if you've been following that for over four to six weeks. What you can do, gradually decrease what that calorie deficit is, still continue to lose fat, but a lot of the cravings and stuff that pulls people off track are going to go out. They're going to be so much better. It's going to allow you to be more compliant directly with the plan and long-term lose fat that much better. And finally, and probably as important as anything else that I mentioned would be when it comes to your meals, don't snack, eat consistent meals with plenty of protein and plenty of veggies. You see, the more often you eat throughout the day, the more our body starts to be receptive and wants to release ghrelin, which is going to increase hunger signals, right? Think about a time you've had a basically all-day eating festival, 4th of July, um, cookout, Super Bowl Sunday. Your hunger cravings are probably ramped up for the next couple of days, right? Well, if we're consistently eating at different times or eating a lot more meals and snacking consistently, ghrelin's going to stay elevated. We're going to stay hungry. We're going to want to be eating more and more snacks. In contrast to that, if we're having meals at designated times and we're increasing our protein, we're increasing our fiber, we're having more vegetables, that's going to fill our body up with foods that are going to be more satiating. Our body doesn't get full on calories. The mechanical receptors in your stomach actually get full from volume, right? So if you can focus on getting foods that have fewer calories, more nutrients, protein, vegetables, even water, and that take up more space, it's going to be a lot easier to stay full throughout the day, right? So reduce stress, reduce the number of meals that you're having throughout the day and have more structure, increase water, protein, and fiber, and that's going to have a huge difference in how you're feeling overall. All right, gang, thank you for joining the first ever Q&A episode on the Look Great Naked podcast. Now, if you enjoy this and you watch it on YouTube, please do me a favor, hit subscribe and drop me a comment. Or if you were listening to this on your favorite podcast platform and you want me to keep this free and not have these annoying ads that seem to overtake every single podcast and I enjoy, please drop me a comment, hit subscribe. That is how we keep the viewership growing. That is how we keep this in free. And that's how I can keep helping you look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, have a good day. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend.